from recruiting and consulting firm RiderFlex. I'm your host, Steve Urban, and here is your RiderFlex podcast episode of the day. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Here we go. David Berzon on the RiderFlex podcast. How you doing, David? Good. Thanks for having me. Man, I think this is the first restaurant CEO uh, that we that we've had on Snooze Eatery. So I uh, appreciate you being on the show. I was excited to, uh, to to prepare, and I've been to the restaurant in Boulder, Colorado, a few times. In fact, I think I've been to Denver too. Um, so love your place. Uh, I, I usually put in a bunch of calories. I know you have healthy breakfast stuff too, but. When I eat at your place, I don't worry about that. I get that is get what's good. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> You're not the only one. Uh, I figure, hey, you know, most of the time at home, I'm having some fruit or a cup of coffee and I'm being a good guy, being a good boy. And if I go to places like Snooze, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm going to do it up. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about yourself a little bit. Give us the, before we get into Snooze Eatery, give us the David overview a little bit of the personal history family early life stuff like that sure i was actually born in buffalo new york and my dad was a, an attorney and a law professor um so we had a lot of debate going on around the dinner table uh, <laughs> but you know most of all uh, what what i remember uh, as a kid is just uh, everybody in my family had a really strong work ethic and uh, you know my dad that was the generation that would uh you know, leave uh, before I got up for school and got back uh, well into the evening. So when uh, I was in high school and finally turned 15 and could get my first job, I was super excited and always just uh, loved to work. It, it, it just kind of always became the place I wanted to be. And I loved all the aspects of it. And my first job was at a place called Fresh Mart, which was like a neighborhood grocery store mm-hmm. uh, in Buffalo. And really, it, it, it kind of became the whole focus of my, <laughs> my being in high school. You just went mute. Well, sorry about that. Were you pushing out carts or what were you doing? Sweeping floors, cleaning restrooms? Yeah, I mean, I started, uh, actually, it's really funny. I started uh, at my first, uh, you always started there before you could even become a stock boy. This is in the old days when they used to actually have the meat rooms. They used to actually cut and grind the beef and all that in the grocery stores. And, you know, all the union guys wouldn't, you know, part of their contract was they didn't have to clean up anything after themselves. (laughs) So I would come in after school and I had to uh, clean the meat room. You know, it was really cold in there and it was nasty. I mean, there was, you know, uh, everything you can imagine all over the walls and the floors. Um, And uh, and it's funny, probably one of the biggest lessons uh, of my life came out of that uh, meat room because I had never had a job before and no one had really done a great job telling me how to do it. And uh, after, after my first week, the manager pulled me aside and said, you're doing a terrible job and we're thinking about letting you go. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, uh, what do I need to do here? And, uh, and ever since that day, I, I always became the, the fastest, best guy that came in and cleaned the meat room. And that was how my goal. And, and then I kind of took that approach to every job I had since. And then, you know, I stayed there a couple of years. I was stock boy um, and then head stock boy and then cashier. And uh, on my 18th birthday, I became the youngest uh, assistant manager in the chain. How about that? Did you know what you wanted to do at that point? Or were you thinking, no, this is cool. I'm moving up. I'm 
about to go to college or did you, did you have any aspirations at that particular point yeah. to be a CEO someday or? Nope. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to call, uh, go to college, uh, okay. which I did. Uh, and uh, I even knew kind of that I wanted to go to grad school someday just because my dad was a professor and, and, and I had mm -hmm. a lot of insight in, into education. But at that point, I had no idea. Um, I thought I, I might be a, a doctor or a lawyer or, or who knows. Um, so it was just okay. re really work for the sake of work's sake and, and having fun and making some money. Where did you get your undergrad? Uh, at SUNY at Buffalo, State University of New York at, at, uh, at Buffalo, and also for, for grad school. When your dad teaches there and the tuition is free, it's pretty hard to beat that. <laughs> Right. Uh, that's pretty good. Of course, the, the, part, the sad part there is if you got into trouble or you went to too many parties or you pissed off some professors, he probably knew about it. That it happened a few times. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a sad part. It was it was a reality. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. That's pretty good stuff. OK, so, yeah, I saw that you got your your your, your MBA, MBA there at SUNY. I didn't know if you went to undergrad, too, uh, just because I was checking your LinkedIn profile. Okay, so you get your master's degree, uh, you get your MBA, and, and you, then what? Are you like, okay, I'm going to like go to Colorado and go skiing, or what, what happened? Talk to yeah, me. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I got my undergrad, and uh, I knew I didn't want to go to grad school right away, but my undergrad was in business, and, and specifically in, in finance, um, but, you know, the market had crashed in 87. So there were no jobs anywhere on uh, mm -hmm. Wall Street. You know, I was in Western mm -hmm. New York and I thought that, gosh, I'd go to New York City and have an opportunity to work in an investment bank. But there was nothing. So, um, you know, I decided uh, as actually my mom kind of saw me moping around one day. I was like, why don't you take a year off and go to Colorado and ski? And I had never really done that. And so I pulled out a map and I had never been to Aspen, but I kind of just put a pin in the map and said, that's where I'm going to go. And cool. I packed up my car and had 600 bucks to my name and moved out to Colorado. Did you have a place to stay? Did you have a friend? Yeah, I kind of had found some friends of a friend that had let me crash initially. And I knew I had to get work <laughs> right away because I didn't have very much. That 600 bucks was a lot less by the time I got to Colorado. And uh, I actually ended up in a place uh, with a bunch of guys just kind of crashing and the phone rang like the second night I was there. And I remember it so clearly because someone said, is Olivier there? And I said, no, he's not there. And the guy said, darn it, I need him to deliver tonight. And I said, I'll deliver. And it was a, he, this guy that lived there apparently worked at a pizza place. And uh, I drove right over there and, and took his job. So it was great. <laughs> <laughs> is the place that you uh, lived at or the little apartment or whatever you guys crashed at, is it still in Aspen? Have you, have it's you, still, it's still there. I could check could show you. I, I walked by there every now and then. Um, and then cool. uh, I did all kinds of things, you know, uh, did, a, did a lot of construction and painting was just, you know, taking a year off, but as it, as it started to get cold, I knew I needed to get an indoor job. And one of the places I applied to, was uh, Paradise Bakery started, uh, you know, mixing dough in the basement uh, and making ice cream and baking. And, uh, and then I'd work the counter and I really found that I enjoyed working with people and that that okay. was probably a strength of mine. Um, and uh, not only the guests, but the, the people that work there 
And I thought, gosh, this is a great business for my personality. And I, and I think mm. that's important for anybody is so many people look at different businesses that they want to be in, but do they stop and ask themselves that question? Is this a good fit for me? Uh, mm -hmm. If you're an introvert, you know, having to work the floor in a restaurant is probably not a great job for you. Um, so uh, anyway, I, I started working there. I became good friends with the two founders of the company and we would ski and uh, I stayed there a year and I left and I went back to grad school. And when it, you know, during grad school, I, uh, I started at the end, towards the end there, I started interviewing for, for, for real jobs. And uh, I always remember one of the jobs that I interviewed for was a division of Procter & Gamble. And part of the interview process is you, they fly you into Cincinnati and you spend the day meeting with a bunch of kind of mid-level managers. And I remember it so clearly because, you know, all of them uh, were a bunch of overweight, middle-aged white guys. And I thought, and, and every question was geared towards, are you going to be a lifer here? Uh -huh. And I thought this is, you know, this is going to be my life. And it's just so not a fit for, uh, for who I am. And plus, uh, plus you're thinking to yourself, I miss Colorado and I like hanging out with the guys <laughs> at paradise. Right. I mean, come on. It was in the back of my mind, but you know, it, it was tough. Cause you know, at the time, those, those P and G jobs paid like 50 grand, which was more money than I ever could have imagined. And, uh, and Paradise was offering me a job as an assistant manager at 23,000 to start. And uh, I think when, when I told my folks that, uh, that that's what I was gonna do, they thought I was crazy, but um, you're right. It wasn't, wasn't hard at that age to decide to go back and do that. But I really did it with the intent that if this is the industry I'm gonna choose to be in, I'm going to do something with it. And I, I always tell people that like people, it, it's funny. Uh, we have great employees at, at snooze and uh, you know, they'll come to me and say, you know, gosh, my, my job is to be in the record business. And sometimes I'll say, well, what are you doing here? Go work in the restaurant, go, go work in the record business, like right. work, get some experience, no matter how menial it might seem to be at the time you know, you're never, it's, it's a rare thing that you're going to start as an executive. So just get in the industry that you want to work. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, mm -hmm. and that's how I kind of approached it. When you came back after grad school, you're not, now, what are you system manager, manager, yep. district, yep. district so, manager, you probably so had, I, you probably had so, all of them. <laughs> nope. So I was an assist, I was a, an assistant manager and I had a GM there that I'm still good friends with, uh, to this day, but uh, after six months, we switched roles, and I was the GM, and he was the assistant manager, and you know that was just a time. Well, I, I don't know that I still don't have that time in my life, but uh, you know I, I was really hitting it hard, and I was a, a go-getter, and I wanted to make something out of myself, and I wanted to do something. So uh, I think at some point he realized it was one of those uh, you know leader get out of the way kind of things, and he chose to get out of the way. Great, great. So you moved your way up. You eventually became president of the company, right? I did. But, you know, there were a lot of years before that. And, you know, yeah. if you were to ask, uh, you know, one of my mentors, Dan Patterson, you know, he would have said, I, I, I thought I was ready day one to run the business. And, <laughs> you know, he was very thoughtful. And, you know, the, the great thing is, you know, I always tell people find a mentor in whatever industry you're in. And I was lucky to have that. And I think he realized, gosh, maybe this, this kid does have the potential to do this someday. 
But in order to get him there, he's going to have to work every position in the company. And Mm -hmm. I was, you know, an assistant manager and a GM. And then I oversaw several restaurants. Then I oversaw a, a, a large region and then several states. And then I became a director of operations and a vice president of operations and the president of the company. And he just slowly but steady kept kept moving along until he realized it was time for him to step back and I could step in and, and run the whole thing. Congratulations on a great career there. Really impressive. Uh, did you eventually grab some equity? Did you have some ownership before they sold to Panera or? How oh yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I had some ownership uh, at a, at a pretty young age because uh, you know, I had, I had, I was the GM of, of the Aspen uh, restaurant and, you know, my first year there, we won best business of the year out of like 300 businesses in, in nice. Aspen Snowmass area. And then uh, when my partners, the guys that would soon become my partners, Danny and Mark asked me to move to Texas, you know, I said, well, I'll, I'll move, but I want some, I want to be an mm-hmm. owner. And they said, well, you need to prove yourself and then we'll make you an owner. So show us what you can do over one year. So uh, I worked uh, really hard. Uh, and then after one year, tr- true to their word, they uh, showed up one day with a stock certificate and, and gave me a nice little piece of the business. And then, uh, and they said, this is the only free ride you're going to get so far. And, and everything else I had to buy my way into and kind of uh, be- beg and borrow. I borrowed from family. I borrowed from friends. I borrowed from them in order to get equity in, in the subsequent restaurants that we opened. Mm. When you moved to Texas, you lived in Austin? Uh, I lived in Dallas, actually. In, in Dallas, okay. I only All wish right. I had lived in Austin at the time. Right, yeah, I, exactly. Because back, I mean, Austin's pretty crowded and crazy now, but back then, yeah, really cool place to live. Still a cool place to live, but anyway. Um, okay, so got some equity, bought some more equity along the way, moved up, great career. Were they telling you, hey, we're going to sell this someday? Was that the plan? Were you guys talking about that? You know, we weren't really talking about it. But uh, look, these are guys that I love. So here I am. uh, You know, they had families in. uh, They had moved, uh, both moved from California to Aspen uh, full time and were raising their families there or had raised their families there. And um, Mm. we actually weren't for sale, but Panera Bread approached us. Ah. and uh, offered to buy us. And, you know, very respectfully, I I give him a lot of credit. My partner, Danny, came to me and said, so what do you want to do? This is a great offer. And I I will always remember this conversation. And I said, you know, Dan, like, I finally have the job that I want. I'm running this thing. I'm 40 years old. Like, this is the deal that I want to do in 20 years when I'm 60. And he said, the only problem with that, Dave, is I'm going to be 80. (laughs) (laughs) so i said okay enough heard let's sell it because you know i look i love these guys and i owed a lot to them and they they taught me everything uh, that i know about this uh this business so um yeah so we did it and you know it was great because i spent the next four years working with panera bread Mm. and i went from this small entrepreneurial uh very entrepreneurial Mm. uh perspective and i always say that i learned as much as i did in the next four years working for a big public company as Mm. i did in my previous 22. so Mm. as skeptical uh as i was you know little did i know that it would really round out my career and give me the tools that I need um, to grow another business. No doubt about it. I mean, you grew a small company, you went through a transaction. So now you have 
some M&A experience and now you have the experience working for a public company. Yeah. I mean, ultimately that was wonderful experience for you. What kind of position did they give you at Panera? So I was president of the Paradise Bakery division. Paradise, okay. you know, they kind of acquired it. And I then see. the agreement was that I would stay on um, and run it. Uh, gotcha. And, you know, when my four years was up, you know, I really did some soul searching because there's some benefits for working for a big giant company. Uh, but what I really loved is working with and developing people. And I loved when Paradise, I remembered the days when Paradise was small before we became 80 restaurants large yeah. and really wanted to go back and do that again. So uh, I had been living in Phoenix for 17 years and raising my family. And we decided to, to pack up our bags and move to Colorado and just take some time off. We had a, we had a home up in uh, Carbondale. Okay. And we decided to just move there full time. And uh, my kids were, were going into junior high and high school at the time. So it was perfect timing. And I took some, took 18 months off and really spent that time traveling around the country looking for that next opportunity. Oh, so you were thinking about when you say traveling around, meaning you were going to take a position and maybe move again, or you were just doing interviews and visiting? I, I was looking for a business to buy, buy into, run okay. anything. Uh, okay. I just knew that it had to be pretty special. And uh, little did I know that I would end up finding it uh, right in my own backyard in Denver. And I, I really had, was coming to the end of that 18 month uh, period. Um, and uh, headhunter in New York called me and, 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 I, and I had been working with her. And I had said, you know, I'm getting pretty frustrated. I don't think I'm going to find something this way. I think I'm just going to go start my own deal and, uh, and she said, there's one more business that, that uh, it's really cool. It's based in Denver. You got to go see it. It's got six restaurants. Uh, I think this could be what you've been looking for. And I drove down the very next day. It was a Saturday morning uh, to Denver. And I, I went to um, all the snoozes. And I remember walking into the first one. I remember walking up to the first one and seeing 50 people waiting outside at South Glen saying, what the heck is this? Like, who's waiting? <laughs> Who are all these people? And then, uh, you know, going in and finding out that they were on almost a two-hour wait. And I, I was thinking, who waits for breakfast? But the minute I began to engage with the staff, I knew this was the business that I wanted to run. Mm -hmm. At that time, were the, the founder or founders of Snooze, were they looking to exit or get out of the, what, what, what was happening there with that transition? I can't remember. I remember reading yeah, they, something about it, but go ahead. Yeah, they were. I think, I think to their credit, they realized, gosh, we've got six restaurants. We never in, in our wildest dreams thought we'd get to six restaurants and it's probably time to uh, take something off the table and bring in someone that knows mm -hmm. how to put mm -hmm. some structure to this and really help us guide this and, and grow this. So we, uh, we did, uh, we kind of coordinated all a bunch of different people and did a private equity transaction. I came in on it, the private equity guys, the founders kept some, some skin in the game. Ah, I see. And, uh, but you know, it's funny, the, the, the guys, uh, John and Adam Schlegel who founded Snooze did so well. Uh, two months later, John moved to Italy, like bought a house and moved to Italy. Uh, <laughs> and Adam moved to Australia. How about that? I'm and they're both that. here. They're both now back in Denver raising their families because it's pretty hard to beat Colorado. It uh, really is. But it was also great for me because, uh, you know, they kind of left me and put me in a position, um, you know, where I, I 
didn't have founders and they knew it themselves, you know, breathing down my neck and could really do the things I needed to do in order to get the business ready to grow. But now you got the PE firm breathing down your neck. No, I'm just joking. I'm joking. <laughs> well, <Very good. laughs> great. You know, it, it, it's, it's funny. I, I do get calls all the time from a lot of friends saying, you know, how do you know, how, how do you know what PE firms to partner with? And I always yeah. say, don't take the highest bidder, take the ones that are going to be great partners. And I've been yes. fortunate to do that a bunch of times now. How, when did this transaction happen? You and the PE firm, when did they come in? How many years? Uh, that, that was 2012. 2012. I'm surprised they haven't flipped it already. Are they? Well, uh, that we have. So we did another oh. transaction in uh, okay. 2016. Okay. Uh, and and found a new uh, majority owner. So my partners today are uh, the the Stripes Group out of New York, a great okay. group of uh, of consumer investors, um, as well as we also have um, ACG in there uh, from New York and LA, and Brentwood, who invests in a lot of restaurants. So. Uh, and we just had a board meeting yesterday and it was, it was the best ever. So they're a great group to grow a business with. More wonderful experience for your overall career now dealing with more transactions, PE firms, all this stuff, which is a whole different animal. Um, wow. That's just, you know, fantastic experience. Plus it sounds like you've capitalized personally on a couple of things as you've invested and there's been these transactions. So congrats. Well, thanks. You know, back in paradise, certainly I did. But uh, thus far, I've left everything in the game at Snooze. Ah. And I believe in this business and, and, and I'm the leader of this business. And, uh, you know, I really wanted to set the example of I'm all in on this. And, and, you know, at the time we did the second transaction, we were only 17 restaurants. And oh. four years later, we just opened number 45 last week. And we'll do it. You know, we'll do another 15 over the next 15 months. So, there's a lot of momentum. Give us the snooze overview real quick for the, for the listeners of this particular episode that maybe they haven't eaten there. Or they don't know the restaurants. Sure. Snooze is a super fun, high energy leader in the better breakfast category. I actually believe we created the better breakfast category. Um, you know, that was my thought when I first saw snooze was, you know, I, I walked in and I thought this was so clever. No one's done anything different with breakfast in this country in the last 30 years. There was Denny's and IHOP and Village Inn and everything was just so ubiquitous. And Snooze really is unique. It's high energy. It's vibrant. We have a full bar, not just, not just mimosas and Bloody Mary, but Bloody Mary's, but a full bar. Um, and uh, and we, we let people be themselves. And I think that is the most uh, unique thing about our business is the people that we hire and our teammates. And I, I've always thought it odd in my career that everywhere I've worked, uh, you know, uh, people tell you that they're hiring you because of your personality. And the next thing they tell you is to put on these khaki pants, this polo shirt and this name tag and cover up that personality. Interesting. So, you know, John and Adam really hit on this formula of let people be themselves. So that means if you come into snooze, yes, you might be served by someone with pink hair and a nose ring and some really cool tattoos, but we really call it a social contract. And in exchange for letting people dress the way they want to dress, um, they've got to give great hospitality, great service, and, and really create ravers out of our guests. You know, unique, uh, a unique atmosphere and culture and style for sure is how I would describe it when I've been there. I mean, you know, you think breakfast and you think, okay, the local truck stop with bacon, eggs and toast. And, you know, 
you guys have made it so much more than that, right? With not only the food and the menu and the dishes, but the culture and the people. Great um, music. You know, people always ask yeah. me, how, how, how do you know how, what volume to turn the music up to? And I always say, turn it up until the first person complains and leave it right there. <laughs> I like that. Full bar, by the way. People order uh, alcoholic beverages at 9, 9 a.m.? Really? They do, especially on the weekends. It's brunch and, and brunch yeah. culture is pretty big these days. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're obviously pretty aware of it. We do. We are aware that uh, if m during the week, uh, during the weekday, someone comes in and orders a third drink, it might be time to go notify a manager. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what time do you stop serving food? We serve until uh, 2.30. So we'll seat you until 2.30. We're usually done by 3.30, which is another really... Um, a unique competitive advantage that we have. The restaurant business is typically associated with long, long hours and late nights. And, uh, you know, for us, people find that they can be in this industry, but they can be home to have dinner with their families or take their mm -hmm. kids to practice. Mm -hmm. um, so really we've been able to hire some phenomenal people and we're very strict on the number of hours that people work. If you're working ah. more than, you know, if you're working more than, 45, 46, 47 hours, there's a problem. Uh, and and uh, we really talk about working smart, not long. How about weekends for your managers? I mean, that's a killer in the restaurant industry is that, you know, Saturday and Sundays, obviously you're, you're two busiest days of the week, at least I'm assuming they are. It is, um, but you know, we also have plenty of managers, you know, most businesses are doing the volumes that we do per restaurant might have three to four managers. We have five managers in every restaurant. So okay. we are able to keep people fresh because, yeah, it's it's pretty intense. The unique thing about Snooze, we'll open the door on a Saturday morning and we won't slow down till 3.30. I mean, it, yeah. it's go, 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 go. Most businesses, they open at 11 for lunch. At 1, it dies down. They open again. You know, they, they do very slow afternoon and then they do a big dinner. But for us, it's it's go all the time. Yeah. Tell me about the, um, the, the coffee, uh, that you serve, right? It's a, it's your own coffee, your own blend, right? Is that right? Do I have that right? It is. Uh, it is. It's our own blend. That's, uh, that's, uh, made for us in uh, Guatemala and, uh, Adam Schlegel, the founder of snooze discovered it on a, on a walkabout as he calls it since his wife's Australian uh, and uh, many snoozers have visited the farm many times, and it's a really unique, sustainable plantation, uh, and, and, and the, the owners of it are really incredible people. They support an entire town. Uh, they support the local school. Um, so it, it really is, you know, snooze is, was founded on these principles of community and sustainability. We're a 1% company meaning mm -hmm. that we give 1% of um, all of our sales back into our local communities. And that's all managed by the local restaurants. Um, typically we, ha we, fa we have community partnerships. So every restaurant will have three to four community partnerships and then they dictate how that 1% goes back. And we usually, when we open a new restaurant, we'll do um, fundraisers for these community partnerships as training mm -hmm. days. And mm. before we even open our doors, we find that we've given away $25,000. How about that? So the manager of the location in Boulder, Colorado can decide where to put that 1% based on that community's needs. 
Absolutely. And we actually have, uh, have two positions in every restaurant that the manager uses to help them. Uh, one is called a community commander and the, uh, uh, and the other is called a green captain, the green captain being in charge of our sustainability endeavors. Okay. Interesting. Now this is, I'm going to ask you a, a, a touchy, touchy question here a little bit. What happens if the manager wants to put the 1% towards some sort of social environmental thing that the company overall doesn't support? What happens then? <laughs> you know, we have pretty good guidelines. I think, you know, I, I always think, I, I always use this example. Everything in, in life is, is, has guardrails. And as long as okay. people understand the guardrails as a leader, you can let okay. them have all the autonomy they want. And gotcha. the example I use is when you drive a car down the road, you're not holding the steering wheel in one position. You know, you're constantly adjusting a little bit, but you're still well within your lane. Mm -hmm. So we try to give people as much autonomy as possible. But yes, there's, there, there, there might be certain um, <laughs> nonprofits that, uh, yeah. you know, that we think are, are politically sensitive. Uh, you know, we live in a world, no matter what you do, you know, you, you, you're potentially could tick off half the population. So we're, we're, we're pretty sensitive around that. But if it's, if it's related to green, um, uh, we're usually, we're usually pretty good with it. Should CEOs of companies or companies themselves, should they be taking sides on all these touchy topics that, like you said, could piss off half the population. I wonder about that. Uh, Cause I'm like you and I, I, I uh, kind of talk about it the same way. I, I always think to myself, okay, now on this particular topic that this CEO just put a post out on, I know that at about 50% of the people that see this are going to be upset and 50% are going to love it. Is that dangerous for that CEO to do that? I don't, I don't know. That's a good question, right? What are your thoughts there? Look, I, I do believe CEOs need to take a stand. I think businesses need to take a stand. And, uh, you know, the way you make those decisions around what it is, is really, you know, I personally say, you know, is this a moral issue? Is it a human rights issue? Um, you know, I march, uh, I march in the uh, gay pride parade with all of, all of our snoozers. Um, you know, we openly support um, the LGBTQ community. We believe in that, uh, and we be and and we also believe that. Look, if 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 you have a problem with that, um, then look, we understand that everyone has perspectives. Uh, no one's forcing you to share our beliefs. We hope you still visit us as a guest, but if you don't, we absolutely do understand that. Um, mm. You know, in Texas, Texas was a tough one. We went into Texas uh, and we have signs on our restaurant saying, uh, you know, no concealed carry in our restaurants. And probably not a week goes by that we get a, an email from someone that says, you know, I'm not going to, patronize your restaurants. And we understand that, but we also looked at, looked at that in a very holistic way um, and, and decided uh, it, it was what was best. Now, another touchy sub subject, like you mentioned. Yeah. I'm so, I lived in Texas for a while. And I grew up in Oklahoma, so I'm very uh, aware of how many people either have guns or carry guns. <laughs> you probably don't even notice it till you put up a sign that says, Hey, you can't do that. And then people will start saying something. 
Um, what happens if you have an associate that uh, blasts on their, their personal social media about something that is totally against what the company stands for? What happens then? Yeah, if it's on uh, just depending if it is something we, you know, when people do join Snooze, do sign and, and acknowledge uh, that their social media behavior needs to be appropriate. Ah. Okay. Um, so we do have the right to, to terminate someone or, but more than likely it's just, Hey, we're going to ask you to take that down. You know, we think that that's offensive, but look, ultimately one of our, our core tenets at snooze is the celebration of individuality. And, and that means you celebrate all individuals, all individuals. When I came into snooze, I mean, I was, I, I joke around, not only was that I, the oldest guy that, that worked there by a long shot, but I was the only person that didn't have a tattoo or, you know, a nose ring or long hair or something. And, uh, and I used to joke around, I used to say individuality guys, you have to accept my, my, my dress and my age just as much as you do your own. That's tough. I heard you say a little bit of both right there. I heard you say, hey, you know, we might ask you to take something down if we think it's offensive, but we also want to make sure that you have personal freedoms and individuality. That's a that's a tough one. That's a gray. That's a little bit gray. Right. You know, that's that's you know, it's a judgment call, I think. Right. Because what if you're what if your manager in Austin is like a big NRA fan and they got, you know, NRA stuff all over, you know, you got to be you got to be careful. That's a tough the whole it's social, the whole social tough. media uh, topic around what to comment on and what what about employees and what CEOs should say and taking sides on stuff. I tell you, that is a that is a that is a tough topic right now. I think I don't know. <laughs> there's 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 no question. Being uh, in HR today or, or being a uh, being in the people business, it's as difficult uh, as it's ever been. But look, I, I always say that at the end of the day, do what's right. You know, mm. forget about the rules. Forget about what mm. is the right thing to do. Uh, not to not do just it. for the organization, but for the individual. And Let's throughout. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you right there. Just throughout my career, I think the biggest lesson I've ever learned is, you know, anytime I put money first, I probably made the wrong decision. Anytime I put people first, I, I've got it right every time. Now, I don't know if the PE firm would agree with that statement, but no, I'm just, I'm just joking. Around. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you about COVID for a minute. Uh, just talk to me a little bit. I know we could do like an hour podcast on just that topic, but uh, I mean, how did you guys, how did it affect you and what are some key things you did? Gosh, it was, look, it, it, it was rough. And, and especially those first 90 days, which, which were filled with the greatest amount of uncertainty. I mean, look, we were shut down. Uh, we weren't really set up for takeaway or delivery. We didn't have other business channels, but we sure learned uh, very quickly and we ended up laying off 1,800 employees and furloughing a lot of our corporate uh, uh, team members, and that was really difficult. I mean, those were some those were some uh, some dark days. But uh, look, we learned a ton around it. And looking back, COVID is probably the best thing that has happened to my team and our business. You know, we, we, the learnings we take away, mm. have, have taken away, the resilience that we've learned, mm. uh, you know, I mean, we've learned that nimbleness matters, right? You know, you've got to be a nimble team to survive. Tech matters, culture matters, communication and transparency 
were everything. You know, we were constantly communicating with people and our team. Trust, the trust that we had built up through our strong culture over the years mm. really paid off um, during mm. COVID and uh, the ability to think outside the box. And ultimately, great people rise to great challenges. And we had built a, a business upon a lot of great people. And I think that's why when this is all said and done, we're going to come out of this uh, better than we've ever been. You got some, you know, restaurants are now starting to get some support, whether it's the, the PPP loans or whether the individual states themselves are passing out additional uh, support. I know I saw a bunch of stuff from Colorado that they're doing for restaurants. And so I'm sure that's different for you in each state that you deal with. Um, how many of the 1800 you laid off are, are back already? Pretty much everybody. And, uh, uh, and, and not only have we refilled those positions, we've refilled them with the same people. And that was a huge issue that restaurants had mm -hmm. is that they laid people off and people didn't come back. And mm -hmm. really, I think that's a testament to the strong culture we've built and the communication again. I mean, you know, we had multiple calls weekly, weekly with every employee throughout that whole period to let mm -hmm. them know how we were thinking about the business and that everything we were doing, we were doing to figure out how to get them back to work. We want everybody to be safe. We want our employees <laughs> to be safe. We want our guests to be safe. And we also know that, look, this, this will pass uh, and, and uh, hopefully everyone will, will choose to get the vaccine. That's another political uh, statement. I know a lot of us are against, the, uh, a lot of people are against the vaccine, um, but I will say that I am supportive of it. And if you work in the hospitality industry, it's probably the only thing that will ultimately get us back to where we have, you know, were prior to COVID. Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to step out here and just make a little comment. And I've been also very careful as the Rider Flex CEO, you know, I mean, I'm one of those small business guys who, uh, you know, uh, I, I we don't want to piss off any potential customers. So we've been we've been pretty careful with our statements. Right. But I will tell you from a restaurant restaurant slash bar slash perspective, there's two things I'll mention. Number one, I have missed the hell out of interacting with people and happy hours and breakfast and restaurants like I, I have really really missed it I had no idea how much uh, of my life it was right and just interacting with people like I really have missed it super bad we're and social beings we're social beings and as soon as the freaking tavern that is next to my house uh, opened back up I was like the first guy down there <laughs> so <laughs> Uh, and then the last thing I'll mention on that is, and we'll, I don't want to get into a whole mask conversation, but I, I will tell you when I go into a restaurant right now and they have me put on a mask to walk 15 feet to my table and then take it off. I, I just, I just looking at that situation as a 53 year old grown man who's seen quite a few things in his life. And I'm thinking to myself, this might be one of the dumbest things that we've ever done. I don't know for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't shoot the messenger. We're just following the rules and we're doing totally whatever understand. it takes to make everyone yeah. feel comfortable. Totally understand, which is why I never give the employees a hard time. Uh, you know, more great experience for you, my friend. I mean, having been through everything you everything you had been through in your career to get to where you were at, and then now having a pandemic experience as a restaurant CEO. I mean, holy cow. After this, it's like, pff, I can do anything. It doesn't matter. No, nothing faces me, right? <laughs> yep, but you're not going to get me to say, oh, this will be by far the, the worst thing I've ever lived through because I'm not knock on wood, please. <laughs> A high price to pay for some experience.
Oh man. Let me, um, let me move into some wrap up questions and I'm having to skip over a bunch of stuff. I wanted to ask you, we're going to run out of time, but uh, let me ask you, you mentioned work ethic that contributed to a big part of your success. What else, what other, maybe two other things would you say are the largest contributors to your success besides the work ethic? Yeah, two things. One was uh, learn your craft. Um, you know, people want to be in an industry. They want to succeed in an industry. You really need to be interested in and fascinated about that industry and really spend the time learning your craft. If, if, if I were a young person and, and starting over at this time, you know, get into the industry you want to be in, as I said earlier, and you don't need to be the CEO when you're 25. Um, you know, go through the position, learn that uh, industry. And then, the, you know, the second piece is really leadership and communication skills. So many people uh, I, I work with that kind of hit a wall because they've got great um, operational skills, great functional skills, but they didn't take the time to develop their leadership and communication skills. And if you really want to move up past a director level and get into a VP level or, or, or even a C level, it is all about communication and leadership and your ability to connect with and develop people. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. You don't have to have the highest IQ in the room, but if you have great people skills, you're willing to take risks and be a leader and you have strong work ethic, it can take you a long ways, my friend, right? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. If you can call your 21-year-old self coming out of SUNY and tell him anything, what would you tell him today? Same thing, right around those lines. Like, uh, take it easy. The success will come. The, the, the money will come. But don't think you're going to get to it without uh, doing the hard work. And also, take some time. Life's long. I haven't really, I hadn't really figured that out at that point. But uh, life is long. I'm in my mid fifties and feel like I've got a ton left in the tank. And there's a lot of time to to do everything and to, and to play uh, every bit as hard as you work. Last question for you: If you had to put your core purpose in life right now at this age, at this phase, if you had to put your core purpose into a sentence, like David's core purpose every day. Um, and, and I asked you to let's, let's leave your kids out of it. Leave leave your immediate family out of it. So family aside, what is David's core purpose right now? Developing my team, developing the people I work with. That's how I think about paying back the opportunity mm -hmm. that, I had to have great mentors. Uh, if I leave, to me, the, 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 the best thing that could ever be said about me when I'm long gone is one of the young people that I'm working with today, they're running some restaurant company out there. And one of their employees says, gosh, how did you learn what you learned? How did you become so great at what you did? And they say that they had a mentor in me. Awesome. David, thank you so much for being on the RiderFlex podcast. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, Steve. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button. The RiderFlex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviewing. 
You can visit riderflex.com to learn more about us and get information and pricing on the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.